morning. Are we good? Patrick? Not Patrick. Justin? Remember that conversation we had before the service? I won't say it out loud. Oh, good morning. It's hard to believe, but uh, we're one week away from July. The summer's flying by. By the way, the word from Tim and Jen is they're having a great time. Everybody's getting along with each other. Had a little car trouble in the beginning, but they're really enjoying sightseeing, and they're just uh, they're loving being together. And uh, that's great that they can have this opportunity. I tell you, I really appreciate Kevin. Not that I didn't before, but uh, just, just appreciate his leadership and uh, to be able to have a pastor go away for the summer and the other pastor kind of be here and step up and, and not miss a beat. I mean, it just, it just shows to two quality men that we have uh, as our pastors, and I'm just very appreciative of you this week. Uh, it's been an uh, interesting week, and some of us have gone through difficulties, certainly James and Corey, it's just, you know, showed up at your house this week, and Derek and I, is this sounding right? Okay. <clears throat> and you get out of the car, and you go up to them, you're like, there are no words, right? <laughs> there's, there's nothing to say. And uh, just, just incredible difficulty to face. There are other people that are standing beside the bed of a loved one that is about to be ushered into eternity. This afternoon, I, I'm, being, I'm part of a memorial service for one of our participants who was just doing so well and all of a sudden died of a heart attack. And, and it's, it's been a difficult week. There's also been Joyce, right? There's uh, Andrew and, and Becca getting married and parents holding their child for the first time and grandparents holding their grandchild for the first time. And, and sometimes, you know, when we hear difficulties going on, we don't want to talk about the good things. We think it's going to make people that are going through tough times to feel badly. But we have to rejoice with those who rejoice. We have to mourn with those who mourn. And that's what makes the family of God. That's what makes us as a family here. So um, we, do, we do mourn with those who mourn, and we do rejoice with those who rejoice. And, and since I'm up here, I'll ask for a prayer request. Um, July 5th, my daughter Judy is getting a feeding tube in her stomach so that they can uh, try to get some nutrition in her. She's dropped down below 80 pounds, and, and obviously there's concerns with that. So if you could just pray for her, that's the journey we're on, right? We're all on the journey. And uh, the beautiful thing is we can sit here, and I, and I don't know if you were watching all the words, but uh, so many words about Jesus, about being our hope and being what we hold on to. And uh, that's, what kind of, that's the glue that kind of holds us all together as a family. Let's pray this morning. Thank you, God, this morning for our family here. Not just our family, that we can be part of just an incredible family of believers all throughout the world. And, and God, we ask that you would speak to us this morning because um, we need to compartmentalize our trials and compartmentalize our joys and be able to ask your spirit to do what only he can do, and that's to take what's in our head and take what's in our heart and kind of merge them together on the same page. Help us to figure out how to make sense of everything that is going on. Um, help us to, this morning, to learn how to trust more completely in you. In Jesus' name, amen. If it's not the, uh, the uh, microphone, it's the glasses. The two of them drive me nuts. 
Uh, so, <clears throat> have you watched the news lately? <laughs> I'm going to be pessimistic for a while. All right, you know, the times are, uh, are crazy. So much uncertainty, so much unrest. You have the Orlando massacre. 49 people just, just killed because one person goes in there and starts shooting. Have you seen footage of the uh, floods in West Virginia? 44 out of 52 counties under state of emergency. In fact, I, I heard one commentator, I don't know if he knows what he's talking about, but here's what he said. It's the worst flood in West Virginia in a thousand years. Now, I don't know where he gets his data from, but um, if he was exaggerating a little bit, it still tells you what kind of an incredible um, natural disaster they had. And we're not even talking about the unprecedented fires in California and out west. One section, there were 30,000 acres that are burning right at this time. And if that's not bad enough, you turn the news or you turn the radio and you hear about people being killed, kidnapped, stolen, used and abused. I mean, it's, it's very discouraging. And if that's not enough, then you look at our political situation in our nation, where nobody seems to trust either candidate, presumptive candidate. And for the first time, I hear so many people saying, I just don't know if I'm going to vote this year. Crazy. And then look around the world. Look at uh, Britain pulling out of the EU. And what does that mean for, for them as, as a nation and the EU and other countries that it looks like might just follow suit? Because people no longer trust the establishment. And it's interesting to me that as we become more and more advanced as a society, it seems that we become more and more weary and scared. The six resources that, that we need to build healthy lives or that a community needs to build healthy and, and sustainable communities seem to be crumbling, and this affects the foundation of our society. Take the resource of physical. It wasn't too many years ago, decades ago, where you could go quite a while in your life without finding somebody that had cancer or somebody close to you that, 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 that was diagnosed with cancer. And now, I mean, I could just keep rattling off people that I've known who either have cancer or have passed away from cancer. Disease. I told you I'd be depressing for a while, right? I was just, are you discouraged yet? The, uh, it gets better. Hang on. Um, <clears throat> the heroin epidemic in our world, but even in our county, I was just at a drug task force meeting not too long ago where it, it's just all the townships, all the townships in our community, like we have to address the heroin epidemic in our community. You're afraid now to get bit by a mosquito, right? To get a Zika virus if you're a woman and you're, and you're pregnant. Terrorists that are just doing mass shootings all over our world. Somebody said to me the other day, I have never lowered my flag at half mass than I have as much in the last couple years than I ever did. Just seems like there's one thing after another. We're lowering our flags and we're mourning as a nation. Not just the physical resource, but the emotional one. Did you know that 20% of adults between the age of 18 and 64 have a diagnosable anxiety disorder in a given year? That's 42.5 million people. By the way, that's more than the number of people last year who subscribed to Netflix. Throughout our county, really, and through the throughout the factory, we've noticed an increase of the number of people coming through that have um, mental disorders. The relational resource. With a country that has over 300 people, how can so many people be lonely? There's a whole, if you, if you Google it, Google it this afternoon. 
There's a whole condition for people that are within crowds but find themselves incredibly lonely. The spiritual resource for religion has let everybody down. People are disillusioned with it and anything that looks like a religious system. In fact, did you know that a recent poll about Christianity to those who do not follow Christianity, 50% of them believe that Christianity is extremist and that followers of Christianity are extremist people. The intellectual resource, society has been dumbed down to not think critically. We've abandoned cause and effect. So much so that you can do what you want and it doesn't matter what the consequences are. And if I don't agree with you or don't like your consequences, then I'm considered a person of hate. And if I speak up against you in any way, not necessarily violent, but then I'm guilty of doing a hate crime. One more, financial. Unrest in economics. The stock market's volatile. Nothing seems secure anymore. Sorry to be so depressed, distorted. But here's the thing. All this unrest and all this uncertainty in our country, in our world, leaves an unmet longing in the fabric of society and also in each of our lives and the lives of our neighbors and coworkers. It's a longing for something more. It's a longing for something real, something authentic, something that doesn't fail, something to hold on to, something to truly believe in. By the way, we're calling you this summer through our series to be all in. But all in to what? Not all in to religion. If the conclusion of this series is you're going to read your Bible more, then you've, you've missed something. Although we'd love to have every, all of us read our Bible more. If the conclusion is you're going to give more to the church or to the factory, did I say that? <laughs> then, then you've missed something. Although we'd love to have both of those happen. None of these truly are going to satisfy this longing. This summer, we're calling you to be all in on just one thing, really one person, and that is Jesus. The message this morning is going to be all about Jesus, because our goal of this series is to strengthen our resolve to live the bravest life possible by pursuing Jesus above all. Now, for me, to be all in on something, or any of us, I believe, to be all in on something, I think there has to be three things that happen. The first one is, I have to believe that someone is worth being all in about. The second thing, I have to believe that there's something that's worthy of me to be all in. And then third, I have, there has to be some benefit to me. There has to be some kind of conclusion. I'm like, okay, this is worth it for me. So there has to be someone that's worthy of being all in for, something that's worthy of being all in about, and then there has to be some benefit for me. And what I want to present to you that that someone is Jesus, that something is Jesus and what he's done. And I'll share with you the benefit of the end. If you have your Bibles, if you'd like to turn to Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. If you don't have a Bible in the morning, there's some, this morning there's Red Pew Bibles. We're talking about page 953, almost all the way to the back. And we're going to take a look at Colossians chapter 1, jump in where Derek left off in verse 15. You see, to be all in with Jesus requires us to determine that he is something worth being all in for. And that he represents something 
worth being all in. And that if I decide to be all in with Jesus, there's going to be a, an incredible benefit for me. So let's start chapter 1 of Colossians, verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, talking about Jesus, the firstborn over all creation. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. It doesn't mean that he's like him. You know how parents, when they have children, and then you spend a number of months, like which parent does that child look like mostly? Oh, I see this nose. That is mama's nose. Oh, look at that chin. That's daddy's chin. Or, or those eyes. Or how they act this way. You got that from your mother. They get older, you start saying this. You got that attitude from your mother, you know. Or you're that way because you're dead, right? There's a likeness. There's similarities. That's not what he's talking about here. He's not like Jesus is like God. Yeah, he's, you know, God is good. And Jesus is kind of like that. He's pretty good. God is love. Yeah, Jesus, he's, here's what he means. It's an exact Duplication, that's probably the wrong word. It, it's the exact same thing. Jesus is the exact representation. If you want to know who God is, look at Jesus. If you want to know who Jesus is, look at God. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, it says the same thing where it says he's the exact representation of his being. The same character. It has the idea there of, of taking a character and, and superimposing something over it and tracing it so when you're done, you have the identical thing. Now, you're going to sit here saying, yeah, duh, Chuck, I, I kind of know that, but I, I want it to sink in. I want it to sink in that everything you know about God, that's who Jesus is. Everything you know. There's no characteristic of God that Jesus doesn't have. He's the exact thing or person as the Father. So some things we know about who God is, and as I say these, I want you to realize, oh, okay, that's Jesus as well. God is Jehovah, right? He's all authority. So is Jesus. God is the one who sanctifies me. So does Jesus. God is infinite. So is Jesus. I'm going to stop saying so is Jesus, but you get the point here. God is all-powerful. God is good. God is love. God provides God's a God of peace. He's just. He's holy. He heals. He's self-sufficient. He's all-knowing. He's everywhere at all, at all times. He's merciful. He's sovereign. He's wise. He's faithful. He's full of grace. He's our comforter. He's a source of all blessings. He's the head of the church. He's our intercessor. He's our master. He's our strength. All of these things, and there's many, many more, are who God is. And so is Jesus. You see, he's not just a good man. He's not a wise prophet. He's not a prominent religious leader. Jesus is God. Let that sink in for just a moment. That's what Paul is trying to explain to the believers at Colossae. He's starting out and he's saying, Jesus is God. He goes on, and we'll go back to verse 15. The firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, powers, rulers, or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's the head of the church, the body, the church. He's the beginning 
and the firstborn from among the dead, so that everything he might have the supremacy. By the way, the firstborn of all creation doesn't mean that Jesus was created and he was created first, so he's the firstborn. It's using that imagery to talk about how the firstborn son um, often possessed the father's estate when the father would pass away. And, and in many cultures, the firstborn son, when the father would pass away, the other brothers would worship or follow or be led by the firstborn. There's a quote here from one author who says this, Christ sustains the most exalted rank in the universe. He is preeminent above all others. He's at the head of all things. The expression refers to the simple fact that he sustains the highest rank over creation. He's the son of God. He's the heir of all things. All other creatures are also the offspring of God, but he is exalted as the son of God above all. So not only is Jesus God, he's the exact thing as God. Not a likeness, not a duplication, but I can see some, you know, which picture looks different, you know, that kind of thing. It's the exact same thing. He's also supreme over all of creation over everything else that's created by him, for him, through him. He is kind of top dog. I hope they don't take that as sacrilegious. I have a little video that kind of shares who Jesus is I want to share with you. He is the ruler of righteousness. He's the authority of the ages. He's the holiness of heaven. He's the God of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my Christ. video I almost show I was almost going to show but I didn't know if I get in trouble um, but if I'll tell you what it is so you go watch it at home Steve Harvey <laughs> he has a video on what he how he would introduce Jesus at his second coming and don't don't knock the theology in it and don't you know don't judge it because of what you think or not think about Steve Harvey's faith but the video itself is incredible and what's even more incredible about the video is by the time he's done the, the whole crowd thousands of people are given a standing ovation because that's who Jesus is. 
No other religion, no other leader of that religion, no other prophet, no other, you pick them all. We could go through each one. They all have a message from God, but Jesus says, I am God. And by the way, I'm the greatest thing in the world. I'm above all. It's all for me. It's all because of me. It's all through me. And he is the firstborn over everything that exists. So we're asking to be all in. The first thing I want you to know is we're asking to be all in to Jesus because he is someone that's worth being all in about. The second thing is, okay, so I got you, Chuck, and Jesus is cool. We get it. And that's why I'm here this morning, most of you. And uh, or you're here, you're like, okay, I want to explore it, and you're, you're intriguing me. But he's also, there's also something worth following. Let's look at verse 19 of chapter 1 of Colossians. What does it mean, by the way, those of you that order the me, when all of a sudden the reading glasses, you can't see, you still can't see the text. It's a bad sign. Uh, sorry, verse uh, 19. I can't find the 9. There we go. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. You're going to see this later on in the book, and it actually goes on and adds a little bit more to it. It's kind of cool, but I don't want to steal the thunder. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Everything about who God is is put into the man Jesus. He was a physical manifestation of the Godhead so that everyone could be reconciled to himself by making peace through his blood. See, here, here's how it works. God is perfect. He can only be around perfection. So he created humans. He created all this, and he made it perfect. Everything was going great until man screwed it up, and the imperfect entered this world. And so God set out some rules and said, okay, you can no longer approach me. You can no longer walk with me. You can no longer be with me because of your sin. And in order to keep me from just killing you, because I'm a perfect God, and I'm a righteous God, and I'm a holy God, you're going to have to make sacrifices to me. Because there has to be a shedding of some blood, someone, something's got to pay the price for the sin. And so you can go back and read the Old Testament, where all through the nation of Israel's history, where they had to bring sacrifices to God. And it worked. For that sin... For that day, then they had to go and do it again, and do it again, and do it again. But Jesus enters humanity and offers that perfect sacrifice that only had to be done once. And that sacrifice allowed all humanity to be reconciled to God. In fact, let's turn over. You can keep your finger there if you want. Turn over to the book of Hebrews. I want to read a couple passages. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 through 14. When Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle. There's a lot of stuff here, okay, but stay with me. That was not man-made, that is to say, not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. The blood of bulls and goats... And the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are certainly unclean, sanctify them so they're outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself on blemish to God, cleanse our consciences 
from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. And then chapter 10, verse 19, just a few verses here. In your Bible, it's, it's page 972, just a few pages later than where we were in Colossians. Chapter 10, it says, verse 19, Therefore, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us to the curtain, that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, because he who promised is faithful. Jesus is the only one, the only religion, the only, I'm going to put them in generic categories here, that's why they're in quotes, prophet, good teacher, who says, there's nothing you need to do to get right with God. I've done it all. See, every other world religion says you have to do this, you have to do this, you have to do this. <coughs> Excuse me. Some say you do all that and you'll get to heaven. Some say you do all that and you hope that you'll get to heaven. Jesus is the only one that says, listen, stop doing it. I have done it for you. By the shedding of my blood, I have reconciled you to the God of the universe. You can now live and a relationship with him. In a sense, we'll have it perfectly when we get to heaven, but in a sense, we can go back a little bit to what the Garden of Eden is like. The problem is, the moment we live in that, humanity is still fallen, you know, and we, we need Jesus again. So we can't just get Jesus, and then we're good for a period of time, and we don't need him anymore, and we go back and get another infusion. No, we need him every moment of every day, because he is the one who has reconciled us to God. It's not you. It's not your good looks. It's not your intelligence. It's not your skillful hands. It's not your incredible brain. It's not your money. It's not your position. It, it, none of that is enough. And all through humanity, ever since the fall, humans have had to do more and more and more and more and keep doing and keep doing and keep doing to be able to have God say, okay, now that's enough, and now we're right because you've paid enough price. Jesus entered the scene and said, I'll do it for you. That is something worth being all in about. You mean to tell me that I don't have to live in performance mode with the God of the universe? No. You mean to tell me that I don't have to keep coming to church, keep reading my Bible, keep giving, volunteer for summer enrichment camp? I don't have to do all that to God say, wow, I'm, I'm proud of you. Well done, good and faithful servant. No. Part of my skewed view of God, and this is why this is so important to me, is, you know, my, my birth father would, 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 not to go, the kids are going, right, <laughs> would, would beat me, and I, sometimes I didn't know why. And so I just assumed that I did something wrong. And I translate that to my relationship with God. So when bad things happen in my life for my family, I'm like, oh, God must be mad at me. I must, I better, I better kick in performance mode and do enough and show God. I remember once years and years ago when I was a youth pastor, and I went to this conference where they kind of did an assessment on your life, and I remember the person looking at me saying, you're going to burn out because you're trying too hard to please everyone. I'm like, no, I'm not. I can do 100 hours a week. Yeah. Because that's kind of what I thought. If I, I, I used to say, I want God to say to me, well done, good and faithful servant. Please say that to me, God, please. Say it when I get to heaven, but could you say it now too? But this, this in Colossians, Jesus is someone worth being all in about, and what he has done is something worth being all in about because I no longer have to live that way. It's not about me. 
It's about what he has done for me. If you don't hold on to the first one, if you don't buy into that, that Jesus is whipping all in, and then you can't buy in the next one, that he's, what he's done is something worth being all in about. Whoa. Um, but but you've got to believe in that. That's why I keep, you've got to believe in it. Plus, you gave me extra time this morning because the preliminaries were, were, were not as long. They're not preliminaries, right? I'm sorry. That, they're, they're more than preliminaries. Sorry, sorry. Forgive me, everyone that's involved in you, Lord. Um, got hot up here. It just got hot. And uh, I said, oh, hold on, I can do this. Oh, but if you don't buy into that, then the next part, what's in it for me, isn't even going to matter. But Jesus has said, I am going to come. And this sounds crazy. It just sounds so simple, but it's so profound. And I'm going to reconcile you to God forever. You don't have to do it again. So what's in it for me? Go back to Colossians chapter 1, verse 22, 21. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death, presents you holy in his sight, without blemish, and free from accusation. He reconciled us to God for three things. Here they are. One is to be holy, to be set apart. You see, prior to Christ, prior to us coming to know Christ, we were enemies of God. Now, I don't know about you, but I do not want to be an enemy of God. So if you can tell me how I can be a friend with God, I'm all in. Because of what Jesus has done, we're reconciled to God to be set apart. Meaning this. You've heard this, you've seen this image, maybe you've been in this image, where all the kids are lined up, you know, and the, the two jocks in fourth grade are picking teams, and I pick you, I pick you, and this person, I pick you, and you're like, please pick me, please pick me, please pick me, you know, and it never happened to me, of course, but, uh, you know, you're the last kid, and nobody wants the last kid because he's unathletic, he's scrawny, he's whatever description you want to pick, I'm going to be careful what I say here so I get in trouble again, and... Um, and so the image here is that Jesus has said, I'm looking for people on my team. I picked you. But wait, 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 why me? Do you know how deeply insecure I am? Do you know that I, I don't do this well? Do you know that I, I think this way all the time? Do you know that I'm prone to this? Yep, yep. But I pick you. You're on my team. I got your back. Use whatever metaphor you want. I'm in your corner. I'm your mentor. I'm your coach. Whatever it is, he's reconciled to us, and he says, I'm picking you to be on my team. I'm setting you apart as my own. See, we're not holy. You know this, right? You be holy because I'm holy. You know that verse? That doesn't mean you better be holy because God's holy. What it means is because God is holy, you are holy. And so God has put you on his holy team, and he sets you apart as special, as different, as unique, as holy. And it also says, without blemish. It's a, little, a lot of theology here, but did you know that positionally, I mean, you, you know this, I'm sure, positionally we're perfect, right? When we become believers, positionally, because of Christ, we're perfect. Now, experientially, we're not, because we still have a human nature, and that won't happen till the sanctification process is final, and we get to heaven, and we're glorified, right? And then we'll be perfect. But positionally, I'm perfect. In other words... 
If I confess my sin, he's faithful and just to forgive me and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And so I can stand before God, fallen, screwed up, dysfunctional, a hot mess, Chuck Holt, can stand before God without blemish. That's pretty cool. Because of Jesus. Because of that reconciliation. Not only am I on his team and I'm set apart over here. He picked me, called me out, and I'm set apart. But also, he sees me as without blemish. He takes my sin, and when I confess it, he wipes the slate clean. So maybe I'm just selfish, but what's in it for me? <laughs> well, I get picked on the team, and that's pretty cool. And also, I get seen as God, as perfect, because when he sees me, he sees Jesus Christ. And that gets us to the third one. I'm free from accusations. I win. I'm not just on a team, but I win. The devil can no longer accuse me if you take a courtroom setting. That I don't have to worry when I'm there and the accuser comes and he says, yeah, but let's talk about Chuck Holt. Seven years ago, three months ago, two hours ago. There's never going to be enough evidence that I'm going to be able to lose and have to spend eternity in hell. Because Jesus reconciled me, and now I'm without accusation. Because when God hears that, he says, yep, you're right. Close your ears, Chuck. I don't want to discourage you. But you're right, he is a hot mess. You're right, he's this. You're right, he thinks that. You're right, he does this. But Jesus has paid the price. And so you cannot accuse him anymore. I mean, I don't know about you, but I could use a little of that in my life. Psalm 103 says, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. That's pretty far. Hebrews 10, 17 says, when God forgives us, he remembers our sins no more. So here's the thing. The devil knows that he's lost, right? He knows that we win. So he no longer, I don't know this, I'm making some of this up, <laughs> If you're listening, uh, this is true. I mean, this is in Scripture. But no longer does he try to accuse us. He does, but he knows he can't win. So you know what he does? He just accuses me directly to me. He skips the process of God because he knows he can win with me. Right, you too? You ever had false guilt? You ever beat yourself up? You ever like, oh, man, I'm I just, not me. I can't do this. I can't be that. You ever settle for second best because you look at yourself in the mirror and the devil, the accuser, is just saying to you, yeah, but remember, but, 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 but. If it's good enough for God, then it better be good enough for me. I'm free from accusation. I'm holy. I'm set apart. I'm without blemish. I'm free from accusation. And so what is my response? You see, this Jesus, who is God, who is over everything that has ever been created, has solved the biggest dilemma in all of history. And now he says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Verse 22, the last verse there, actually, I think it's verse 23. Let's back up so we can get context. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. Well, that's discouraging. Because I just told you how I don't have to worry about it. I'm set apart, I'm without blemish, and I'm free from accusation. And then he goes in there and says, if you do this. I thought God already told me I don't have to do anything. All i got to do is trust in him. 
If you continue, it sounds like there's something I have to do. Hear me out. Stay with me. I'm telling you that because that's not the best translation of this, of this word. It's not so much an ultimatum, like, hey, I'm going to give you all this, but you better do this or else. It's not so much as if. It's more like since. It's more like since God has reconciled you, or another way to say it is this, if you've been reconciled by God, if you're a believer, and you've been set apart, and you're after I mentioned freaking accusation, then you will, you will hold on to the hope. You will not shrink back, as other passages say in Hebrews. You will, um, you, sorry, if you can, uh, not move, yeah, you will be established and firm. Like, it's a given. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to worry. So it's not, it's not a if. It's more like a sense. Because of. Because here's what I want you to hear. There's no more we need to do. So if you're here this morning, you're facing uncertainty, be certain. God is supreme. Jesus is supreme. Jesus is God. If you're weary, been there. You can rest easy. He's in control. He's called you on his team. He's marked you as, as, as without blemish. And you're free from accusation. You're fearful this morning. You can live in boldness. You're discouraged this morning. Been there. But you can still have hope. You're living in guilt. Been there. You can be free. You're going through trials. Been there. You can still rejoice. Not to single them out, but this is the, the, the kind of headline in our church's news. But James and Corey, what keeps them? Why are they sitting in church this morning? I mean, come on. Who wants to follow God that does that? Levels it down with a tornado, and then just after you rebuild it, levels one of them down with a fire. What in the world are they doing in church praising God? Because they have said that I'm willing to be all in because of who Jesus is, because of what he offers, you know, what he has done because of who he is. And then, a little selfishly, like me, what I can get out of that. Which is why you can sing those great hymns, Because He Lives, I Can Face Tomorrow. Which is why we can sing these songs. This is why in uncertainty we can be certain, in weariness we can rest easy, in fearfulness we can be bold, in discouragement we can have hope, in living in guilt we can be free, and going through trials we can rejoice. Because of Jesus. There's nothing more that we need to do. We can have confidence, and this last verse tells us, because this condition has already been fulfilled. And the only thing left to say is amen. Let's pray. Thank you, God, so much for sending yourself as Jesus, the Son of God, to this earth to reconcile me to you because of his bloodshed. Because the God of the universe paid the price knowing that I could never be able to pay it. And God, now I'm set apart as yours. 
God, you see me as without blemish because I can confess my sin to you and you will hear me and I can approach you with confidence that you'll hear me and forgive me. And I can live free from accusation because no matter how difficult life gets, no matter how uncertain and uneasy the situation in this world is, we hold on to that anchor, Jesus. Amen.